Zombies and the Hitchhiker Context produces possibility. I have two stories to share here, seemingly unrelated at first glance. They form their own duet. Together they illustrate almost everything I hold true. They are theory in action. They are what happens when there's another way of looking at the world that allows for the backswirl of contingencies to be authorized. When the script we have hardwired inside us is upended in favor of a wider affection for life, something else happens. The context produces possibility. Unforeseen options emerge. It takes courage to meet the hard moments in this spirit. I know I'm mostly misunderstood in my attempts at making a case for this approach. Stories help. I offer you Zombies and the Hitchhiker. Dignity Vanquishes Zombies For me, this story is about mutual learning between generations. It's also about how to make change in a stuck system. It's about the blinders of Western culture. It's about how acute situations make complexity difficult to advocate for. This story is about the disaster of the education system and a young man trying to survive it. This story is about my love for that young man, my own son, and the unexpected treasure we found together, which helped him get through the maze of hypocrisy that his middle school epitomizes. This story is about zombies, actors, and the openings to realms of communication between parents and children that are often missed. There are paths through our culture that have been worn so completely that it's nearly impossible to see past the prescribed, prescripted versions of how to navigate them. This is one example where we, my son and I, found a trap door that led to a systemic shift for both of us. My son Trevor has given me permission to put this in this book. It's our story, and this is my version of it. Trevor was about 12 years old. On a typical suburban evening in our atypical home, we were unloading the dishwasher. With a sly eye, he removed the food processor blade, showed it to me, and said, Mom, if there's ever a zombie invasion, you could, like, totally use this. What? Trevor is a funny guy, and I was amused by his, this fantastical observation. I did notice, though, that Trevor had been talking about zombies quite a bit that autumn. At that time, teenagers were just finishing a trendy vampire craze. I assumed that perhaps zombies were the next fixation. Trevor's comments were not yet registering as particularly relevant. We carried on without notice of the zombies. Meanwhile, the emails from school started coming in, in this era, in contrast to the one I grew up in, parents receive emails whenever there's an issue at school. I suppose the practice is well-intended, but receiving those emails is irritating. My parents never got emails. 
but I sure did. Emails from teachers, counselors, and administrators began to pop into my box. They each arrived with a tone of blame and concern. Trevor is being disruptive. Trevor is being disrespectful. Trevor is not listening. Trevor is horsing around class and causing distraction. And then, after a few weeks, we would like to meet with you about Trevor's behavior. Trevor will be scheduled to see a school counselor. The principal would like to discuss a plan for what to do about Trevor's behavior with you and Trevor's teachers. Have you considered that Trevor may have ADHD and may require medication? And so on. The underlying message I was being given through these emails was that my kid needed more discipline, and if discipline was not effective, perhaps it would be necessary to consider medication. While I cannot speak for other parents and their children, I knew in my bones that neither discipline nor medication were going to be effective remedies in Trevor's case. Something was going on with him, and I had no idea what. I also had no idea how to deal with it. I knew there had to be another layer of information that I was not seeing. And more importantly, my boy was dimming down his effervescence. For several more weeks, this continued. Trevor had to go to detention, and he had begun to wear a reputation of a bad boy at school. He even began to believe he was a bad boy. Subtle and not-so-subtle body language of his teachers underscored their view of him, and in time, Trevor was willing to identify himself as they did. The bad boy. He carried this new identity heavily, both physically and emotionally, I could see the change in him. His focus was on the floor. His ire was on a hair trigger. He had always been a beaming bright boy who had gradually become cloudy over the course of only a few months. It's hard not to panic seeing a child carry such shadows. Of course I wanted to do everything I could to help him. As a parent, there were paths before me that I was expected to follow. The school had identified Trevor as a behavior project and had suggested what they considered to be normal procedures to deal with such students. Ahead of us lay the paths of counseling, increasing discipline at home, and possible diagnosis and or treatment for attention disorders. These are the options. But are they the only options? Meanwhile, Trevor kept talking about zombies. Not in a gruesome way, but in jest and in his metaphors. Guys his age often say things that are vivid with the images of their fantasy world. I thought nothing of it. Until, finally, one night, Trevor came into my room at four in the morning in tears. He had had a nightmare. It was still dark. I was very asleep. And for some unknown reason in my half-awake state... I accidentally produced what was perhaps my best possible moment of parenting. I cannot claim that I had a plan or a doctrine that I was abiding by. I was just sleepy. I asked Trevor what the nightmare was about. Of course, he said, zombies. The great teleprompter of our culture that delivers the script for mommies says that at that moment the appropriate line is, 
don't worry, honey, there's no such thing as zombies. I'm here, everything is okay. The programming to deliver these lines is strong. But I did not say any of those things. Instead, I took his hand, gave it a kiss, and told him we'd talk about it in the morning. Why did I do that? To this day, I do not know. I can only say that something gave me pause, that the simple platitude of reassurance felt disrespectful to Trevor's struggle. I did not know what to say or to do, so I postponed the conversation until morning. As a mom, I find that setting my internal alarms to go off whenever these pre-scripted moments surface is a good idea. In my experience, these are precious opportunities for substantive evolutionary communication change between generations. The way in which culture directs our parenting is almost invisible and profoundly pernicious. Cultural scripts are tricky. They sneak up on you. Suddenly, I noticed that I've said one of those things that parents say, clean up your room. I don't know how you live like this, or don't talk to me with that tone of voice, or those sorts of things. I like to tag those micro moments and expand them. I usually find there's something more there. And that had I gone along with the script, I would have set another course of intention into play. Avoid parental autopilot. That's my motto. Avoid parental autopilot. That's my motto. I woke the next morning wondering what sort of zombies were haunting my kid. My zombies are inane. They're the ones from Michael Jackson thriller, music video, gory, groovy, or sometimes my zombies are like the ones from the Night of the Living Dead, which attack and eat people's brains. They're impressive in their costumes and spooky music, but do not shake life's foundations. I know my son, and neither of those types of zombies would frighten him in the way that he was clearly frightened when he came into my room that night. He was scared, deep down. I became curious to find out more about his zombies. The following morning, I asked him, Trevor, what is a zombie for you? Because I have a feeling that the zombies in your head are not the same as the ones in my head. I will never forget his answer. Trevor, at age 12, said, Zombies are people who cannot think for themselves. They want you to be like them. And if you do what they say, your dignity flies out the window. I have never heard a more succinct description of the cultural stranglehold of Western civilization. In that moment, I realized with tears in my eyes that there were thousands of Trevors out there derailing classroom activities with disrespect, disruption, not listening, and in their own way, they were fighting the zombies. These kids are engaged in perhaps the noblest battle there is, the battle to protect one's dignity. They're willing to risk everything for this cause. 
they get in trouble, they lose privileges, they're labeled bad boys and bad girls, they spend hours with counselors, they're given medication, they sabotage their college entry, they even lose the proud love of their parents, but they will not submit to the zombies. I have to respect that. Yes, I said to Trevor, we live in a full tilt zombie invasion. I live in it too. I struggle every day. What shall we do? I went on to explain, of course, his teachers meant no harm. No one meant any real disrespect, but to keep the class organized and on task, they felt they had to control the kids. Trevor was not accustomed to being controlled. In truth, when Trevor delivered his description of the zombies, I knew immediately that he was going to be fine. He had touched upon one of the great challenges that anyone inclined toward critical thinking slams into. He was asking the right question. He was taking the right risk. I knew I did not have to worry about Trevor losing himself, but I still needed to get him through the fifth grade without burning his future bridges to university and a successful life. Honestly, being a parent is a demanding job. Trevor and I were now off script. The counselors and the diagnoses were no longer on the table as remotely relevant. Now an entirely unwritten conversation lay in front of us. Clearly, he needed to do something to reclaim his dignity. Changing schools was one option, but there were sure to be zombies at the next school, too. So it was my turn. I took a risk and made a deal with Trevor. Trevor is an actor, and he was already studying performance at that time. So I offered him his first paid acting job. I promised him $100 to play the part of the straight-A student until the end of the school year. It was already February. If he could play that part, the zombies would be fooled into thinking that they could stop trying to control him. Hopefully, he would have some peace. But I had one caveat, that he never, ever, ever believed that he actually was that straight-A student the world wanted him to be. I said, play the part, but I want my Trevor for a son, not a zombie. I wanted him to know that he had an advocate. It was important to me for him to see that there are times in life when we do not have a prefabricated answer or solution, and that I would be there to experiment with him until we found a way through together. I wanted him to know that even parents do not know how to deal with people who are trying to control them. Besides that, I only wanted him to know that his fear was real and beautifully articulated. The school administrators would never have discovered that particular medicine for my son. I do not blame them. But I do want to shatter the accepted normalcy of their response. To fix a child's expression of anger or fear is a horrible thing to do. They are not broken. They're navigating cultural, physical, emotional, and intellectual terrains that are overpopulated with false authority and hypocrisy. 
we adults are tour guides of these realms, bestowed with the highest possible trust by the coming generations. Let them see us learn. Complexity is surprising, multi-causal, ruled by overtones, and not systemizable. The only tactics I can advise are respectful patience, affection, and playfulness. For his 17th birthday, I had his iPod engraved with the words, Dignity Vanquishes Zombies. Trevor's a good actor and a very good student. At university, he made the dean's list several times. He wrote to tell me, I made a 3.9 average this term. But don't worry, Mom. I'm not a zombie. Representation is something to be careful with. Mutual respect requires careful jurisdiction on the habit of portraying another person's experience. I do not lightly offer this story. After reading my version, Trevor added a couple of paragraphs. I'll read them to you here. He writes, I can recall a time in my life when no matter what I did, I felt as though I had to appeal to an authority outside of my own whether that was teachers, parents, peers, or even just the preset social standards, did not matter. Failing to please meant some form of punishment. I knew then that educational institutions have no vigor for those of us who question them. They cannot see that emails home, alienation, and categorizations are not solutions to behavioral issues but rather triggers that drive small boys to draw penises on desks. If you put a 12-year-old student under constant surveillance and write home about his progress or lack thereof, do you think he will feel peace or alienated? If the school suggests medication and control tactics, they presume that will improve the student's relationship with the school. Will it? No. For those of us who see the zombie world, it will just hasten the realization that the educational system is a front for a large-scale colonization project ridding us of our right to personal perspective. Yes, I am Trevor, and to this day I can see the zombies walk with the zombies, talk with the zombies, but I know in my bones that I believe none of it. My mother, a very gracious, nurturing, and unorthodox mother, taught me everything I know. She helped me access my potential and never gave me a fabricated answer. When I went to my mom that night in tears, having just dreamed of a classroom in which everyone was just mindlessly performing their tasks, no individuality, no talking, no freedom, I thought, oh no, my mom's just going to tell me to go back to bed and that it's nothing. But, of course, my mom is a Bateson. <laughs> so she said, let's talk about this in the morning. We eventually understood that both our lives are filled with conformity, but our minds have to remain free. My mother implored me to find my way to find peace in both by giving me my first job in which I would get a real introduction to the process of living in two worlds at the same time. One where authority is defined as mutual respect, and one where it's merely deference. The latter requires a smile, 
a nod and an answer, but never an opinion. Trevor Rubeck said all that. This recording was contributed by members of our Global Presencing community. Learn more about our tools, our methods and programs for systems change at presencing.org.